You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Out of Sight Podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. I am Adio Royster at Adio B. Royster on Twitter. I'll link all that in the description. And I'm your host on this chill ride as we do a deep dive on a column that was featured on Liberty Ballers, libertyballers.com, obviously, and at Liberty underscore Ballers on Twitter. It's the debut podcast. So I decided to pick something out, given that we had scrimmages. Scrimmage games are over. Quick caveat, this podcast is recorded on saturday august 1st which means when you hear this podcast the sixers will have already played saturday night against the indiana pacers so if one or more sixers have a crappy game or a really good game uh at the time of this podcast i have no idea because i could not jump in the delorean because i'm out of i'm out of plutonium sorry fellas can't can't do anything about that on the pod today, I have Tyler Monahan of Liberty Ballers, and uh, he did a column last week about which Sixers will benefit most from the seeding games. Tyler is on the line right now. Tyler, what's going on? What's going down? How you doing? What's up, Adia? Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Excited for all the uh, new Liberty Ballers podcasts, so it's, uh, it's going to be a great time. I'm ready for some Sixers basketball. It's the debut. It's the debut of my podcast. So uh, thanks for thanks for taking the time. And uh, hopefully you're just as honored to be on the pod as I am to have you here. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is awesome what you're doing. I think it's a great idea for a podcast to kind of get a, a bunch of different uh, writers on and kind of get their thoughts on things. It's uh, It's really cool. There's only so much that we can get from the comment section. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a cesspool sometimes. Sometimes it's great. Uh, comments, comments are, are a scary place sometimes. <laughs> that's, that's that's not to say we Liberty Ballers don't appreciate your comments. Oh no, we, saying, we love them. But we love them. But you know, <laughs> some of them can be some of them can be a little problematic. Just just saying. Yeah, just just a teeny tiny bit. Just a tad bit problematic. <laughs> um, <laughs> The, the first part I want to go over is the the battle on the wing, right? Because mm. you have a couple different guys who are kind of in contention to get some serious minutes. Obviously, Furkan Korkmaz is going to get the bulk of the minutes at one of the wing positions. But as far as the others, there's some choices. There's Alec Burks. There's Glenn Robinson III. Burks had a slightly better scrimmage because Glenn Robinson III was hurt for that third game. But in your view, who had kind of the better scrimmage and kind of put themselves in the pole position? I've been a huge fan of Alec Burks 
honestly, since he got drafted, um, I don't know why it's the most random thing. I just love his gameplay. And he's really come, come together this year, especially in Golden State before he got uh, traded over to Philly. I think there's an untapped potential there. And I, I think that maybe it's just because he came so late in the season. But he had such a great year in Golden State as kind of their main ball handler besides Curry. Um, and he, he really shouldered a lot of the offensive load. He's not doing that in Philadelphia, obviously. But I think that he can really make a difference in this playoffs and in these seeding games if the Sixers give him some time. There's a lot of different ways they can play him, um, you know, whether that's on the wing, as a, as a ball handler, as a facilitator. Um, it really is up in the air. But I think he's the guy that I'm really most excited for. I think Glenn Robinson can have some kind of impact. What that is is really kind of TBD, uh, especially with kind of Mike Scott there, even though Scott's not having the greatest season. I think that Alec Burks has maybe a little bit more of a, a lead in getting those minutes. Really agree with that. Like I always liked Alec Burks's game when he was at Colorado and he struggled mm. in the early part of his career. He was going through a lot of injuries and it seems that he found his stride. I don't want to say he's the knockdown shooter that the Sixers need, but he's definitely a better option than what we have or what we have had in the past. Do you agree or disagree with that? Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think the thing that I like most about him is that he can do so many different things. He doesn't – he's not just like a catch-and-shoot player. He can be if you need him to be, but, I mean, he can have the ball in his hands. If they need a – if the Sixers need a backup point guard, I know Shake, Shake Milton is the new starter, and, you know, Simmons is obviously going to have the ball in his hands a ton as well. But if you need a, a quote-unquote backup point guard, I think Burks can be that. He has a ball in his hands a lot. He can make a lot of plays. He creates separation with his shots. I just really like his game, and I think he wasn't able to find his footing in Philadelphia because of uh, numerous things, and it's going to be kind of hard for that to happen in the seeding games and all that because the Sixers are really trying to get into the swing of things and get ready for the playoffs. But I think if Brett Brown gives him the opportunity – he could be a really valuable piece of this bench, especially when the rotation is minimized in playoffs. Now, you talk about Alec Burks as a ball handler, and that brings me to an interesting point, especially about the second unit. As you know, TJ McConnell was given a big money contract by the Indiana Pacers, mm. and we kind of have been lacking that second team, that, that second team point guard. Um, they brought in Raul Neto, and he's been okay, but he's just not getting the minutes. Like, honestly, I thought it was going to be, like, straight-up Burks versus Neto for yeah, so that point guard position. Like, is that still kind of where we are, or is Burks kind of solidified as the second-team primary ball handler initiator? I don't really think it's between Neto and Burks anymore necessarily. I think this season kind of highlighted the Sixers don't really need a prototypical backup point guard, especially now when you look at the roster, the way it's constructed. You have Shake Milton as a starting point guard, and then you also have Ben Simmons, who's there's been a lot of debate on is he a point guard, is he a power forward? They're going to play him at power forward now. But when he's on the court, he's going to have the ball in his hand a lot. So – you know, once playoffs come, he's going to be on the court as much as possible. Shake Milton's going to get arrests when Shake Milton comes in. He'll be the point guard, so on and so forth. So I don't think they really need, like, a prototypical backup point guard because 
I mean, right now on, on the team, they don't really have one as is. Um, I, I think that Burks is going to be kind of the guy that comes in, can handle the ball, bring it up per se, and kind of shoot. I don't really think they're going to need Neto in the games that really matter most because they have so many different options. So I think, you know, if push comes to shove and they do need to pick one of the two, it will be Burks just because he can do so many other things. And the the statistics definitely back that up. These are some numbers that I pulled from Synergy Sports. Um, as the as a pick and roll ball handler, Alec Burks averages one point one oh six point per possession this year versus Neto's point uh, seven five points per possession. So I do agree with you that Burks can do a lot more at the secondary ball handler, uh, second team point guard position because of his size, because of all the things that he can do, I guess, better than Neto. So I think mm-hmm. I do agree with you that Burke should be kind of the option going forward. But going into that, the, the second unit, so you're looking at a second unit with Burks, Korkmaz, and Glenn Robinson the third. I guess. I mean, that's where things kind of get confusing. I mean, when I look at the rotation, I see, you know, the backup quote-unquote point guard – is Burks. Then you have Cork and Thibel out on the wings. And then I guess he can play Glenn Robinson at the power forward. The one thing I like about him is he's so versatile. He can play power forward. He can play small forward. He can, you know, crash the boards with the best of them. He can also shoot some threes. So I guess I would put him at, at the backup power forward spot. And then you have Al Horford as the backup center. I think once playoffs start, Glenn Robinson's going to kind of be in a tricky situation because he's going to be fighting with Mike Scott for, like, some minutes. It's not going to be a ton. But I think the Sixers know what they have in Mike Scott, and even when he's not having the greatest of years, he still spreads the floor more than Robinson. So I think they might just go with Mike Scott because they know what they have versus the unknown in Glenn Robinson. Because, honestly, we didn't see that much of him in the season when he came over to Philly. You talk about Mike Scott and his uh, the, the the duality of him at either the small forward or the power forward position, and kind of Glenn Robinson can do the same thing. Is it kind of like an embarrassment of riches that we have at that at that like three four tweener kind of thing? Do we do we have, do we have a little bit too much there? I I don't know. I don't know if I would call it embarrassment of riches when you look at what Mike Scott's done this season. He's an option. We do have <laughs> options. They None of them are really the greatest of options, but they are options nonetheless. And I think, I mean, when you look back at last season when we had to, to play, you know, James Ennis, big minutes in the playoffs, and Greg Monroe, you know, it's better to have these guys than to have nothing at all. So, I mean, I, I guess. I, I don't really know. I think it's really going to be hot hand approach at this point because none of them are the greatest options, but it's better than nothing. Just just making me shudder at the Greg Monroe experience <laughs> from last year's playoffs. Oh, my gosh. gosh. It, just, um, it hurts my heart every time I hear his name. Every time. So you're, you're talking about a, a lineup with Burst, Korkmaz, Thibel, Mike Scott, and Al Horford as the backup five. Is there a possibility that maybe you slide Ben Simmons in that? five spot with that lineup so it's just Simmons and a whole bunch of shooters I mean I wouldn't be opposed I don't think that's the worst idea ever and I like the way that Brett Brown he doesn't necessarily take out all his like 
starting five at once, he staggers everyone. So it's not like all these backup five are going to be playing at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if Simmons was in and he's not the necessarily considered point guard, I mean, you could have Alec Burks in there, who's a shooter, put Furkan Korkmaz in there, maybe keep Tobias Harris and, you know, throw someone else in there. And you got some decent shooters around Simmons and kind of let him control the ball but have shooters around him, let him crash the board, do what he does best. But there's a lot of ways to play this rotation. Options, options, options. Gotta yes. love options. Um, we, we do have some more options in the front court uh, because you mm-hmm. did bring up uh, Norval Pell in your in your piece. I I love Norval Pell. I really do. It, except in, in the scrimmage games, I, I noted that he was kind of just posted up in the corner willing to shoot threes, and that's pretty much the funniest thing I've seen <laughs> in months. That was so yeah. fantastic. I was like, hey, he's open in the corner. Give it to him. <laughs> he definitely has his positives. The the 3.1 defensive box plus minus, it, it shows the potential. But is it is it possible that the negatives kind of outweigh the positives? Because – Holy Lord, does he get in foul trouble quick. <laughs> I think he's a player that you can definitely invest in in the future. I don't know if he's going to be a difference maker in the playoffs. Um, just because, you know, the youth is there. He's very raw. He's talented, but he's, he's very green on the court. You can tell that just by looking at him for a couple minutes. Just, you know, when we were setting this up, I, I was kind of thinking to myself, who does he remind me of? And I don't even know if this is a great analogy, but or I don't even know. He, he reminds me of almost like a poor man's Rashawn Holmes. I, I don't. I don't know if you oh, get that from him at all. He's just like when I saw Holmes, especially when he played in Philly. That's what I'm kind of comparing him to. Holmes was a rim runner, just like Pell. But I feel like early in his career, his basketball IQ was like head and shoulders above Pell. At least right now, I felt like he was always in the right spot and he always gave the opposition trouble around the, the basket. And I mean, Pell does that too, but I feel like a lot of the times he has to use his athleticism to make up for those mistakes where he kind of is out of position or he's still running down the court. Um, he's super athletic and he can make those plays, but it gets him into trouble. Like you said, with his foul so often. So I kind of look at him as a Rashawn Holmes um, prototype. I don't know if he's necessarily someone that, is going to make a difference come playoff time. But I think in these seeding games, he can kind of show the front office and the coaching staff that, hey, you do have someone that you can invest in in the future. And, you know, you can kind of create your next best center, your next backup center who you don't have to give a lot of money to. And someone who Rashawn Holmes could have been for us, but or Nerland's Noel. I mean, any of the – take your pick of backup centers that we could have had um, if we just gave him a little bit more time. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Norval Pell is the future big man that's going to be traded for a fake first round pick. Oh god. That first <laughs> round pick from from the Mavericks. That was the most insulting 
thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I was like, oh, I was highly offended when I saw that. Like, come on, just just call it two two second round picks and call it a day. Don't even just don't even give the fans is. don't lie to me. Yeah. Don't even give don't give the fans hope. Just call it two seconds and move on with your day. But back back to Pell. Um, so I watch him play and try to guard people in the post or in the paint, and then I look at Thibel on the perimeter. And I kind of see like similarities where in the in both cases, they're just like, okay, I definitely kind of got beat on this play, but I'm athletic enough to catch up and fix the problem. Oh, yeah, 100%. And but, I think it like, comes from their youth. They're just so young. They're still trying to figure it all out, I guess. Right. And with Pell, I definitely feel like he's trying to process things at like 100 miles an hour and then trying to catch up with his own speed, which is a little bit problematic. <laughs> I like him a lot. I like Pell a lot, but I think there are, you know, concerning areas of his play. And, you know, if the Sixers give him enough time to kind of learn from those mistakes and they really invest in his future, I think he can become something uh, of an important piece for the Sixers. But, you know, that, that all comes with time. And I think, you know, you're 100% correct when you say Thibel and Pell at the same time. They're, they're doing kind of similar things. And I think that's just not even because of, of youth, because we know – Thibault's a bit older for a rookie, but just because they're still getting used to the NBA game, I guess, they didn't even get a full season under their belts before uh, coronavirus and all that hit and the the season stopped. I chalk it up to just inexperience, and hopefully, you know, over time, those things kind of get fixed. I think, especially with big men, that's kind of, you know, old habits die hard with big men, so it might take a bit of time with Pell, but what we've seen out of him in short spurts, I think that he can make those adjustments. You talk about Al Horford as well, defensively, and you kind of note that he's been a a little below average or kind of regressing defensively. Kind of talked about how maybe Pell would be a better, um, a better option in terms of just defensive sets. I was wondering if you could elaborate on that a little bit further. Yeah, I think, you know, anyone who saw Al Horford this season, um, the first couple things that come to mind is, boy, does he look old, and boy, was that a lot of money we gave him. Mm-hmm. So, he's uh, – it's not looking great for his tenure in Philly. I, I have hope in him. I, I don't know. I, I think he might be all right as a backup center, but, I mean, that means a lot less minutes, obviously. Um, but he – when he played defense this year, he just showed the complete – it wasn't even inability. I just think he didn't really want to do it. He didn't feel like guarding the rim. And, like, I get that's probably because he's older. But, like, your job as a center is to make sure that people don't score in the in the lane, in, in the paint. And he didn't really care much about trying to do that. So I think if there is a role that Pell fills this season going into the playoffs, it's that maybe if there are defensive sets that Brett Brown wants to run, you can let him come in kind of – Maybe even you don't have to worry about his foul trouble as much in that instance, but just let him roam free and do what he does best, use those athletic abilities that he has and guard that rim, um, something that Horford's not doing. Um, And if that's only for a couple minutes a game, that's fine. Just get him used to those big moments in games that he's – if the Sixers feel like they want to really invest in him, I keep using that word invest um, because that's what it is. If they want to invest in his future – 
they need him to get ready for those primetime games and those big that big atmosphere. And I think this might be the perfect spot to do that to kind of um, slowly get him into those kind of games. The only thing I worry about having Pell on the floor is that I'm definitely afraid he's going to be on the floor with Simmons, even for like one or two possessions. Like I'm definitely afraid of that because you're talking about like two guys on the floor who aren't exactly the most confident outside of maybe like 10 feet. That's definitely something that Brett Brown's going to have to uh, figure out if this even happens. You're probably right when saying they shouldn't play together because they are so similar in offensive feel. But, I mean, I don't know. I think the best option is probably to have Pell around a bunch of shooters, just like you said Simmons earlier. Um, just kind of let him sit in the middle and put back some dunks, all that. Um, but, I mean, if if you're telling Simmons, hey, he's going to play with you, run the point guard position, and just drive in or pass it to him or just don't sit in the lane with him, I mean, that might work. I don't know. I, I think I'd rather, like you said, I kind of agree with you, just put a bunch of shooters around him. Pell has that one – he has that one offensive move where it's like three seconds left to go in the shot clock and he kind of <laughs> like dribbles the ball off his foot and then just hoists one from the corner. <laughs> he is – he does – when he has the ball in his hands and like you know he's going to shoot it, like he's the last – chance to get the ball up before the shot clock goes up. He looks like a newborn like baby deer. Like he just doesn't really know what he's doing. It's just so it's so odd. Like just throw him lobs and like let him let him go to work there. Don't don't make him shoot jumpers or anything. I, I will say that shot with the clock winding down in that scrimmage game, he he Look, he had so much swagger when he let oh, that yeah. shot go. I was oh, yeah. genuinely happy for him <laughs> for that. He said, "Oh, these games don't count. Hell yeah, let me let me throw this up." Wait, this doesn't count. Oh, hell yeah, I'm throwing this up. This is happening. <laughs> there were other there are other things about the scrimmage games that I was trying to keep a note of, and we kind of touched on it when we were talking about the wing battle. And I kind of want to bring it up because it was a concern that I had coming out of the scrimmage. All due respect to the Mike Scott High. Love you guys. You guys are awesome. But yo, what is going on with your man's? Yeah. He not has great. He has has he kind of just fallen off a cliff at this point? What is going on? Yeah, I don't I don't know. Because I mean he's getting the shots that he had last year and they were falling last year. They're just not falling this year. It's, it's really weird. Um, but I think that's one of the main reasons why the Sixers brought in Glenn Robinson the third is because he can kind of take those minutes from Mike Scott. Um, you know, like you said, no offense to the Mike Scott Hive. I love him just as much as you. Uh, he's a, he seems like a great dude. I've never met him, but uh, you guys are be- awesome. Mike Scott is awesome, but yo, yeah. something is up. Something's wrong here. Yeah, trust trust us. This is not an anti Mike Scott Hive podcast, but it's not an anti Mike <laughs> Scott podcast. <laughs> That's the first endorsement of this podcast. That's before every episode you have to, you have to start out with. I am not an anti Mike Scott podcast. Don't worry. But anything, I think it's time. I'm a Mike Scott apologizer. Exactly. But I, I think it might be time to kind of get him out of the rotation. Get get Robinson um his minutes should there be some in the playoffs because he's uh, he's been rough this year. Oh my goodness. And then there's another one. And I've kind of had this thought kind of since he was brought here. 
And it really sucks because he was kind of the centerpiece of the Jimmy Butler sign and trade. And I apologize if people's ears get singed because of this hot take <laughs> I'm about to say. But, like, Josh Richardson, are, are we sure? Are we sure he's good or at least above average? He had that weird, like, point guard thing that Brett Brown was asking him to do. <laughs> And his shooting is off. It's down to 33% versus 36 last year. Like, are we sure Josh Richardson is good or he just doesn't know his role on this team? Listen, I'm on the, the Josh Richardson bandwagon until the wheels fall off. I loved when we got him for Jimmy Butler because it was better than nothing. He hasn't been that great with the Sixers. And I think that is partially because he hasn't had, like, almost any time with the starting lineup, like, as a whole because of injuries, because of just tinkering with the lineup. So I just don't think he's really comfortable on this team. And I think that that backup point guard role that Brett Brown tried to give him, it was kind of a dud. But I thought it was a good idea in the aspect of trying to get him more involved with the ball in his hands because that's what he was in Miami. He was the main guy. He was the guy making everything happen with the Heat last year. And I really like him. The shot hasn't fallen at the clip that everyone would expect or like, but I think he does do some great things on this team. I think he's a really good defender on ball and off ball. He can defend the point guard or shooting guard position, and he just kind of fills in the cracks of the team. Um, and while I would like to have someone in the lineup who can shoot at a higher clip, I do think they're going to start to fall. I just think he needs to get more confidence uh, while playing alongside of the starting lineup because, I mean, at this point, he really – it's only been, you know, a couple minutes here and there. He hasn't really gotten into the full swing of things with the players that he's supposed to be on the court with most of the games come playoff time. And it's interesting that you brought up that he was kind of the, the primary facilitator in Miami last year. And you're, you're right. Like, this year, like, he doesn't have to do everything. The six, they have – we have – Joel Embiid here, we have Ben Simmons, we have Tobias Harris. It's really hard for a player, any player really, to go from, oh, I always have the ball in my hand to now I sometimes have the ball in my hand and I need to maximize the most I can do with it. Yeah. And I think when looking at his contract, he's probably not going to be here for the long term. He's going to want more money than the Sixers can give him because of those bloated contracts that we gave out to Horford and Harris. Uh, I like him a lot. Uh, do I think he's, you know, the best fit on this team? No. But I do think he can do some really good things for this team. And he's probably going to go somewhere else eventually in the next year or two. Uh, it could be trade bait to try and get off of Al Horford's contract. Who knows? But he's very – I don't want to say underrated because he hasn't – he's gotten the spotlight in certain aspects. But I feel like he's just un- – underutilized and unrecognized and I don't know he's just he's someone that I want to succeed so badly in Philadelphia but I don't know if the role is right for him to have that total success Josh Richardson future max contract with the New York Knicks oh boy yeah (laughs) that's uh if they want to give if they want to give him the max then God bless them God God, bless the Knicks God bless you worldwide west if you want to do that Yeah, no, he's uh, I think he's going to be worth just a bit more than the Sixers are willing to pay, and that's totally fine. I get that um, because, you know, he might not be the best fit on this team, but I just think he does so many things well 
it hasn't necessarily all clicked in Philadelphia, but I think eventually it will. And I don't know if that's just me being naive, um, but I really do like his game. All right. So we, we went through all, we went through all of these things and it, all, it almost sounded a little too negative. So let, let, <laughs> let, let, let me pivot real quick. Hold on. Okay. Three scrimmage games. Like who's looked really good. Who's, who's looked like, who's looked like they're pretty much ready to go. I mean, I don't think we could talk about the scrimmages without talking about Tobias Harris. He's looked awesome. I oh, mean, my God. He's awesome. so on. He's – I there's a piece of Steve Littman who's leading all these podcasts now. He wrote a little bit ago, probably, you know, I want to say two weeks ago, uh, just about Tobias Harris and his contract. And he's basically saying that, you know, yeah, he is overpaid, but he's also someone that can put up 20 points – pretty consistently on good numbers and he's a good teammate and he does a lot in the community. So like those things aren't mutually exclusive. Like all these things can be true at the same time. And I I really liked that article because it it pointed out that like, yeah, he's making way too much money for like the player that he is to be the third, sometimes fourth option on the offense, but he does put up good numbers. He is a good player just because he's making too much doesn't mean he's a bad player. And I think this, these playoffs I think he has a little bit more confidence now in himself and in his game he's kind of I don't know fit in more with with this team he's found his role on the Sixers and I think that's going to be a big help in these playoffs because I think confidence really is key especially in this weird time we're in with no fans if you're confident and you don't have to worry about the booze raining down all that I think it's going to be a big help for him I think he's going to have a really really solid end of the year I, I agree. There's there's definitely some leeway in those concentric circles where it's like, yeah, Tobias Harris is overpaid. I don't mind the contract personally. I think it's fine, whatever. But you can, it's possible you can live in the center of the two concentric circles of, yeah, he's overpaid, but yeah, he's also not a completely terrible player. Like, yeah, I, you. No one. I don't think anybody feels that Tobias is like a, a scrub making like $180 million. Like, do we wish he did more based on what he was getting paid? Sure. But again, like you said, he's like the third, sometimes fourth option on this team. Yeah, I just think sometimes, not even just Philadelphia fans, I think just fans in general, they need to temper expectations like, sometimes things aren't going to work out perfectly and that's fine. Like he's still a good player. There's still good players that yeah are making a bit too much money, but they have their role on the team. They do it well. And you know, that's that <laughs> sometimes it's, it's not anything more than that. Like you just got to understand it and be fine with it. Next thing uh, about imp- being impressed. How, what do you think about the, uh, the Shake Milton experience so far in three scrimmage games as the starting point guard. How do you see that? Um, man, I like Shake Milton a lot. I liked him coming out of college. I think he has a role on the team, and I like what Brett Brown's doing where they're pretty much committing to Ben Simmons playing the power forward, so they're bringing in another point guard, and that's Shake Milton. I think he might have a, a rough start just because of you know the physicality and – and learning to truly play the point guard position because he's more—he's been more of a tweener. He's been a shooting guard more, more so than point guard. Um, but I think 
by the end of this bubble experience, this weird bubble experience, we're going to look at this team. We're going to say Shake Milton is a bona fide starter. Like we will feel confident in him. He has the shot. He has the vision. He has the playmaking ability. And I think that's just what the Sixers have been missing. Um, I think it might take a little bit of time for him to get going, but I like this idea that Brett Brown and the Sixers and the Sixers front office, they're really leaning into it. And I appreciate that because they kind of see what this team lacks and they're saying, all right, let's, let's fix it right now before the biggest games of the year, you know, let's, let's try it out. And uh, I think Sheik Milton's going to benefit from that a lot. It is worth pointing out that Sheik Milton is not a complete, scrub in terms of like the point guard position like he oh no yeah he did a little bit of it at SMU in three seasons and yeah. he has a career average a career assist average of about four which uh, I mean it's not like blow your mind or anything like that mm-hmm. but you know when you look at his assist percentage at SMU uh the last two years it was 24 percent or higher so he definitely has the capability to play that position. Oh, 100%. I don't think it, it's anything about him not being able to do it. I think he's 100% uh, has the ability to do so. I just think um, coming from that bench role where this season he's become more of a, uh, an integral, integral piece of this team, um, but going from kind of someone who's not getting any minutes at the start of the year to all of a sudden being the starting point guard, um, it's kind of a culture shock, and I think it's something that he's going to need to adjust to. But then you also look at – there's players who can help him out. Josh Richardson can handle the ball some. I mean, Ben Simmons, while he's not considered the point guard, I'm sure he's still going to be having the ball in his hand a lot and making plays. doesn't necessarily mean that he's just going to be a power forward who sits on the block and looks for the ball to go up within the paint. Like, he's still going to be making plays. Jake Milton's going to play off ball some, I'm sure. Um, so it's going to be a very fluid – um, situation in the Sixers starting lineup, which I'm really excited to see. I think it's going to be great. I'm totally excited for Ben Simmons power forward because it's something I've been calling for for two seasons now. Yeah, it's going to be incredible. I can't wait to just see him in his more natural position. I mean, he's he is a point guard. His style is more of a point guard, but you know, he's a body type of power forward. Let him play where he should be comfortable at. Mm. All right, so three scrimmages over. We got Sixers and Indiana tonight because, like I said, as we're recording, it's Saturday. Um, Going into the seeding games, we talked about scrimmages, but going into the seeding games, going into the playoffs, who is obviously Joel Embiid, like his health, his conditioning, everything is paramount. But what's that that number two storyline that you see coming out of these eight seeding games? I think the easiest answer would be, does Ben Simmons feel comfortable enough to shoot the three? And I think that is a big, big piece of this team, whether he's comfortable shooting, not even threes, but just shooting mid, mid-range jumpers and just seeing if he's confident in that. Um, but I like to look at Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson, some of the other players who aren't as focused um, on by the media and all that seeing where they fit in because we know what we're going to get in Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. We're going to get superstar play from both of them, but they can't shoulder the load all by themselves. They need other players to step up. And I think this is a time where 
Harris and Richardson, they can really get fans back on their side if they play well and uh, the starting lineup kind of gets running from the get-go. Everything's back. We're back tonight. Um, Tyler Monahan, Liberty Ballers, thank you for joining me on this, the debut of the Out of Sight podcast. Um, let everybody know how they can find you on Twitter, on social media. I don't know if you have TikTok. I mean, you, you <laughs> may or may not, given the fact that it might not be allowed in the U.S. anymore, so whatever. Yeah, I'm not much of a uh, TikToker in terms of making them. I like watching them. There's some funny <laughs> stuff, but uh, I, I'll leave the uh, all the dancing and all that to the uh, to the kids and all that. <laughs> so, but you yeah, that's can, all, uh, that's you all know. you youngsters. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Timon underscore nineteen uh, for all my really bad basketball takes and all that. Um, besides that, that's really uh, that's really the only social media I use. Um, and then you can find me on uh, Liberty Ballers as well, writing some articles uh, every every week. So, uh, yeah, that's, re- that's really it for me. Tyler Monahan, thank you. We will link the – we'll put the link to this piece in the description so that everybody can read it. And once again, thank you for coming on and being the first guest of the Out of Sight podcast on the brand-new Liberty Ballers Network. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was, uh, it was awesome. Great talking to you, Adia. Uh, Appreciate it. Hopefully I get to have you on again. For sure. All right, take care, Tyler.